Welcome to a September 11th edition of the Spielman and Hooley podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley, Chris Spielman alongside. Uh, September 11th, of course, evokes uh, many sad memories in our country. We'll touch on that at the end of the podcast, Chris. But we're uh, sad for another reason this morning with the loss of Cavaliers play-by-play man Fred McLeod. And a lot of people may not know, uh, Fred was the Lions preseason television play-by-play guy. And you are the Lions preseason analyst on TV. So you knew Fred very well. Yeah, I just uh, had a chance. We were in Cleveland together. This was a week and a half ago. And uh, one thing about Fred McLeod, I knew him a little bit when I was a player, and he was in Detroit covering Mm -hmm. the Lions and working for Channel 4 up there. Of course, he was a longtime voice of the Pistons, so I followed him on TV. Obviously, I got to know Fred, like many people, through the TV set during the Cavalier run with LeBron when we were watching Fox Sports Ohio every night and Austin Carr. Had a chance to work with him, and it's about as genuine as a guy you ever want to meet. And uh, just heartbroken for his wife, Beth, um, who is a uh, weather person up in Cleveland. And Fred was uh, loved being a lot with the Lions, loved being part of the the preseason, loved being part of the team. And, and, you know, you think about a lot of things. And so since we do share our faith on this show, I guess one thing that I wanted to share with Beth McLeod, if she ever hears this, or anybody that was really, really close with Fred, is this, and it comes from uh, 1 Corinthians one eighteen, uh, and it's good for those who are in the midst of a bat, in the midst of a trial, a battle. Yeah, well, yeah. hold on, my head headphones are gone. Probably just a little connection here. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And uh, getting that—that's the devil trying to shut me off when I'm start ready to speak. Uh, Bible verses here, but it's a, it's a verse I think that is very comforting to those who may be in hospice or, or mm-hmm. a similar situation. It says this, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are dying, but to us who are being saved, it is a power of God. So in other words, you know, if you have God in your heart and God in your soul, when you are dying, there's nothing to fear. Uh, I can't speak for those who don't have a belief, what they fear or don't fear. I don't know. I just know for those who believe, have nothing to fear. And I can reiterate that when Stephanie was dying, because when she was dying, she made a statement to you. Some of her uh, last words were, why would, I, why would I be afraid of heaven? And so with that, I hope Fred, uh, for eternity, rests in God's peace. I had the pleasure of knowing Fred because of my career in Cleveland, five years at WKNR Radio, Um, and it's really interesting. A play-by-play guy, and Fred never hid his love for the Cavaliers, and and you know, Chris, uh, media types who are supposedly objective reporters can be hard-bitten and oftentimes look at guys like Fred as a homer, and in fact, I love the fact Fred's license plate was on his car, homer. (laughs) Which, you know, I mean, he had the ability to be self-deprecating and was just such a wonderful guy and often came on my show and was so accommodating. He was a great ambassador for the Cavaliers organization. Yes, he was. Beyond that, he's a great ambassador for life, the zest for life, the joy of life. And uh, it's been very interesting for me to read, quote-unquote, objective journalists, hard-bitten guys who are on the Cavs beat. Two of them I know very well. Uh Uh-huh. Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com, Jason Lloyd of The Athletic, both really good friends of mine, both really good guys, 
glowing tributes about Fred McLeod and how much time he took with them, how much personal interest he took in them and from their family situations, you know, and just take an interest in them. And no yeah. one, you know, I mean, I, I know when someone passes away suddenly and Fred appears to have died of a heart attack suddenly at age 67, you're not going to come out and say anything bad about a guy, but you also don't have to go to the degree that so many people sure. have gone to say great things about Fred McLeod. And it is very instructive for me as I go back into the Ohio State beat myself at this point in my career, which is not something I thought I would do. No, it's the last thing I thought you'd ever do. It's the last thing that I said I would do, and it's the last thing my wife said I would yeah, do. Yeah, see how much control you have over your life, right, Bruce? But God shows you, yeah. no, you. I have a plan for you, and, right. and I'm look, I embrace this opportunity to go back in and be a different kind of a person this time, to show the changes that Christ has made in my life. and Such as what? <sighs> Be more humble, be more patient, um, be more of an encourager, be more inspiring, all things that Fred McLeod was. And Fred yeah. is a good example for me. And I was thinking about Fred, and I thought, what better example can you leave behind than to make other people want to emulate the way you lived your life? Yeah. Well, he, he was that guy. And just to clean something up, just a tad, I mean, he had Homer on his license plate. He was employed by the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's a Cleveland Cavalier broadcast and you know this many people might not know this but like baseball uh basketball teams have their own individual broadcasts. so mm -hmm. the games that are not on national tv all have regional coverage tom brenneman another guy that i work with is obviously covers the or is the play-by-play -play guy for the reds on their tv broadcast so rest in peace fred god's peace uh see you soon he was a native of Strongsville, which is just south of Cleveland. So he was a Clevelander through and through. He cried when the Cavs won the championship in 2016. He was doing a broadcast for the people in the queue. And uh, I can think of no better way to uh, put a bow on our tribute to Fred McLeod than to play his signature call of the Cavs clinching the 2016 NBA championship. Oh, let's try it again. Sorry, Fred. Two and a half left, burning four precious seconds. Curry, they'll give the three. No, rebound. Maurice Spates. Good night, It's over. It's over. The 52 There you go, Austin Carr and Fred yeah. McLeod with the call of the Cavs winning the NBA championship in 2016 at Oracle Arena. So, uh, from that, we transition to the football matters of the day. Buckeyes against the Indiana Hoosiers on Saturday at noon on Fox. It is the Big Ten opener for both teams. Uh, we all know the history with Ohio State and inexplicable road games that uh, end in defeat. Iowa two years ago. Purdue last year, do you, Spiels, consider this a trap game against the 2-0 Hoosiers? Absolutely. And I'm paranoid like head coaches in college football because I know what can happen. Now, in order for the trap game to work out for the Indiana Hoosiers, Ohio State has to play at its absolute worst, which it's very capable of doing because we are working with 18- to 22-year-olds. And Indiana has to play its very best. Ohio State's biggest challenge throughout the year as we progress through the season is that they are going to get everybody's best shot. They know that. The focus and the preparation of Indiana will be like no other game that Indiana plays this year. So, and we also look at history. 
we talked about this many times. We look at history and say when there's always a game, at least in the past few years, recent yeah. history tells us, Iowa or Purdue, that we go into a stadium on the road and just play awful. Looks like we forgot how to play the game of football. Now, that was that was an Urban Meyer team. That's just the history. That's the fact. Yeah. Now, we'll see if a Ryan Day team uh, imitates that or a Ryan Day team is able to look beyond that. Now, it's the first game of the Big Ten, so that's an extra, extra motivator that Ryan Day can implore on his football team and say, hey, this is our start. If we want to win a Big Ten championship, it starts here. And guess what? If we want to win a national championship, we got to win a Big Ten championship, and that starts here. Uh, Indiana's 2-0. They're coming off a 52-0 win over Eastern Illinois. It's the biggest margin of victory in Memorial Stadium history. Ohio State, of course, is a different animal. But uh, as I said to Ryan Day yesterday, uh, this happens all the time in college football where uh, teams go in not as talented as the other team and, uh, you know, bad things happen. So how do you prevent that from happening? Here's my question, and here's Coach Day's response. Every week in college there's a, an outcome that blows people's minds because it's a team that shouldn't compete. On paper, it does. Uh, Army almost did. Michigan, Georgia State did with Tennessee. Some people would equate the Purdue and Iowa losses the last few years to that kind of a situation where they might have not had a guy you even offered. IU may be that team this year. I'm sure you guys have done self-evaluation of that. In those situations, what's the anatomy of how that happens and how do you keep it from happening? Well, I think there's a lot to go. I mean, if there was an easy answer to that, it wouldn't happen. Um, there's a lot that goes into that. And, you know, it's something that we're obviously aware of and we talk about it all the time. The mentality that we have is that, you know, if you're the champ and you're the boxer, you know, they're going to kind of try to knock you out every time you go in the ring. And, um, you know, we're going to get everybody's best shot. We know that. So don't be surprised. And we have to bring it every single week. And the only way to do that is to make sure that you're preparing this week just like you did last week and then find a chance to get a little bit better. And if, if we ever take, you know, the shortcut on something or, or don't do it the way we did it the, day, the week before, then we set ourselves up. And, and that's physically, emotionally, and mentally. So physically, we have to be ready to go. We have to have energy, we have to get rest, we have to recover. Emotionally, preparing for the game. And then mentally, making sure we know what we're doing, we have a good scheme you know, through the coaching staff, and then the guys can execute when they get on the field. And um, if we do that and then follow the plan to win, then they'll be fine. But at any time, if something like that doesn't happen, then you set yourself up and you get exposed. So, you find comfort in that answer? Yeah, I do. Do you? I think he's prepared. Yeah, but I think to myself, you know the what? Answer. They were, I'm sure, fully convinced they were prepared at Iowa and Purdue. The reason why I find comfort in that answer is because that's all he can do. He's ultimately responsible for the response of the football team. Then it goes to the assistant coaches, the guys that get each individual position ready to play. The total performance of the football team goes on the head coach. So he's well aware of recent history. He's well aware of being coaching teams uh, that have been heavy favorites or being on the coaching staff of teams that are heavy favorites and lost and also being on a coaching staff that were heavy underdogs and won the game. So he understands. Now, whether the kids respond, uh, that's we'll find that out on Saturday. One of my favorite things to say on Twitter or on when I'm speaking or talking to kids, hey, we have all these questions, right? We time answers questions. That's it. I people always ask, "What's going to happen?" I don't know. Time will answer. Yeah, it will. It's just Justin Fields. Could he play in the SEC, or he's an overrated quarterback? One guy in a Georgia fan thinks he is. Time will answer that question. Right now, he's trending up. So 
the, the benefit that they have, it's the first Big Ten game. And so these kids realize and understand what's at stake. It's not We're not in the middle of the season where a trap game is more likely to come up and bite you in the rear end than it is at the uh, opening of the Big Ten season. Yeah, the other thing, I don't know if it helps that it's a noon kickoff where you don't sit around all day. Iowa was that afternoon, Player does. 3.30, and uh, Purdue, of course, was a night game. Well, they're going to be on Fox, so they're going to have a lot of noon kickoffs, and we know that Fox is uh, emphasizing the noon game. They're letting mm -hmm. ESPN have the night. I think it's a good move. And what better way to get people's interest and putting uh, Fox or putting Ohio State on at noon. That's how you're going to get eyeballs to the set. In fact, out of all those great games last week, I think the Cincinnati OSU game ranked number four in television ratings for a noon game. That's Cincinnati and Ohio State. Yeah. That's the power of the brand of and Ohio State. And a game that really wasn't in doubt much uh, after uh, midway first quarter. Uh, Ohio State-Miami next week, uh, 3.30 kick. The Buckeyes' first 3.30 kick of the season. Uh, Indiana quarterback, uh, different. Peyton Ramsey has been in the past. He's one of eight Ohio kids on their roster. Two of their starting offensive linemen uh, are from Ohio. Yesterday, Pete Werner, who you really like, Buckeye yeah. linebacker Pete Werner, is from Indiana, and he was asked, uh, did Indiana, you know, were you considering Indiana? And I love Pete Werner. He goes, eh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> and he was asked about his top five, and he said, no, Indiana wasn't in his top five. Was Purdue? Uh, he didn't mention that. Okay. I don't know, but uh, you know, he said no. So that's uh, pretty much how it goes. Uh, Buckeyes have Austin Mack, I believe, is from uh, Indiana, and uh, Pete Werner from uh, Indiana. Of course, they have Justin Fields. They did. Uh, Ryan Day tried to make it sound like Michael Penix was a guy that Ohio State really wanted. He said we the quarterback from we Ohio Indiana. Yeah, we recruited him. I talked to him in recruiting, yeah, and I thought, okay, so Michael Penix is at a camp. And in other words, we're good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah hey, how you doing? I talked to him. It's like kicking the tires on a car. Doesn't mean you're going to buy uh, it. Doesn't mean you're going to offer. It's one of those where, you know, he talked to him because he said he was going to talk to him. I guess, so he has sir. to talk to him. Look, Penix is having a good year. Good uh, for him. Justin Fields is having a great year. You and I talked about him being a Heisman contender. Uh, on Monday's podcast, you said you want to see Justin Fields improve his pocket presence, his pocket presence, quarterback clock, eternal clock, yeah, yeah, whatever it is. So yesterday, uh, Ryan Day mentioned that Justin Fields had taken a bad sack in the game against Cincinnati. It's probably the exact play you're talking yeah. about, where he held the ball too long. So I asked Coach Day about uh, Justin Fields' ability to extend the play, which is something a former Buckeye quarterback was uh, very adept at doing. Probably two of Troy Smith's most famous plays here were plays where he scrambled away from pressure um, against Penn State in 06, against Michigan in 05. Um, you made the comment earlier about Justin and you'd like for him took a bad sack, I think you said. Um, how do you know when it's the right time and when it's not the right time? How yeah, do you, you coach don't. Him? You don't. Um, you try to give him certain parameters and you got to let him play. And then he watches it and learns. And, um, you know, the, guy, the guys on the, on the perimeter got to do a better job, too, of, of staying with him and scrambling. The play's never over with Justin, so uh, the ball came out with a little bit more rhythm last year with Dwayne. You know, it was kind of three hitch, the ball came out, two hitches checked down, and we were on to the next play. Well, here, uh, those guys got to stay alive, and uh, I think we're getting a feel for it. You know, certainly, we don't want to throw the ball down the field late in the middle of the field, you know, and um, you know, we got to be smart with that. So, um, again, can you, can you, you know, really uh, control all of it? No, you can't. You've got to kind of let it go, but give them certain parameters, and, and then trust them. We had a coach, new offensive line coach come in, first day of training camp, 
talking now at the Lions. The Lions. Okay. Barry Sanders bounces the ball out, does not hit the hole, bounces the ball out. I hear this coach say, Barry, you know, you got to go through the three hole. Mm. You can't bounce that out. So Wayne pulls up in his golf cart. Head coach Wayne Fonts. Stops practice and said, you tell the five guys how to block. You don't tell Barry how to run. Barry does his own thing. There's a different set of rules for Barry Sanders. All right, continue on. Carry on. Practice. So I think with Justin Fields, when he says you don't, you don't want to take the instincts away, the the game-breaking ability away. From Justin Fields. You also want him to be smart. Now, there was a very interesting comment that's slightly concerning to me, hidden within those words. Okay. Dwayne Haskins, ball was rhythm. That means Dwayne Haskins understood where the receiver is going to be all the time, and so he anticipated throws. He threw guys open. He wasn't afraid to throw to a spot. Yeah. I think the one thing with Justin Fields, now this is early and it's just a guess, is that he's waiting to see a guy open then throw it, as opposed to anticipating the guy that he's throwing a ball. Uh, I also think there's many times during that game that I saw, count at least three, where the receivers did respond to scramble drill. Now, Ryan Day says they have to get better at scramble drill, and I'm sure they will. And for those of you out there wondering what is scramble drill, when you're when the, when the quarterback gets outside of the pack, pocket it's your job to find an open space or work back to the quarterback or work away from the defender so you can get open so you take your old route is out the window you turn it into some type of new route depending on where the defender is and where the quarterback is so we'll see if the receivers who are as talented as any group in the country like i said on twitter it's not fair to a lot of college secondaries because of the amount of depth that they have and how smart and how good they are one area of improvement would be the scramble drill for the receivers and Justin being able to find those guys. So I'm sure that's something that was worked on in practice. No doubt about it. All right, you have the Bengals this week. A brief word on the Bengals, and then we get to the Browns. Uh, maybe not a brief word on the Bengals, maybe a little bit more than that. A brief word about flashes of fun. Uh, they'll take your senior pictures much uh, more affordably than any studio and do a great job over a million views on Unsplash. So check them out on Instagram, Flashes Fun is the uh, Instagram account, flashesofun.com is the website. All right, you have the Bengals, and you talk about a quarterback that seems to fit a system. Andy Dalton, 423 yards in the opener. Bengals dominated statistically against the Seahawks, which I did not expect. You've been digging into the Bengals. What do you see? Well, I see a very, uh, first of all, impressed with Zach Taylor. The one thing about him as a young coach, I'm watching him. I watched the whole game yesterday. I watched the TV copy, and I watched the coach's film. On the Bengals. And start with Zach Taylor. I think he has a very good game plan. I think he, excuse me, he understands what he wants to do. And Andy Dalton fits that system. Zach Taylor said when he took the job that Andy Dalton will be fine for the system that he wants to run. Mm -hmm. The Seahawks came out in a defensive front that was daring the Bengals to beat them with a pass. They threw the ball 51 times. Now, if you throw the ball 51 times... Chances are it's it's very difficult to win, and even if you put up 415 yards, you you still whatever it was, you're still going to lose the ball game. I thought the Bengals did a great job. They the Seahawks dared them to throw. They executed through 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 the passing game, and they did a great job with their screen game. Maybe maybe 10 screens mm-hmm. they ran against the Seahawks. So that's an extension basically of your running game. If the Seahawks are taking out the running game, the offensive line for throwing the ball 51 times. 
and this was a big question mark, was outstanding in protection really? for the most part. Yes, they're really good for the most part. But all that aside, here's the key to the Bengals' loss. In the third quarter, mm, three times doing. in the red zone, yeah. zero, points. zero points. On the road against a, a really good football team in the Seahawks, zero points. Andy Dalton fumbled, wet ball. Randy Bullock missed a field goal. The other one, they went for it on fourth yeah. down, didn't get it. Uh, so that that that's the kill. I mean, that's the game. That's the game right there. That's the game. I mean, that's that's football. Mike Zimmer told me last week in, in, in our production meeting, and he was right. And when I thought about this, he I said, you know, goals, all that stuff, you go through the whole list, and usually you get an answer that is profound or something that intrigues me. Mm-hmm. And the intriguing answer that he gave me is that, look, let's let's be honest here, 90% of NFL games come down to the fourth quarter. Our number one goal each and every week is to win the last 10 minutes of the fourth quarter. So you have to put yourself in position to win the last 10 minutes of the fourth quarter. And you play different from when you're from behind or you play different when you're in the lead. Sure. And coming away with zero points and three red zone trips, that's a killer on the road. But I'm going to tell you this. The Bengals are a much better football team than I thought they were. Zach Taylor, at least the early returns, is showing me that he can coach. Anna Rumo, the defensive coordinator, is telling me that he can scheme. And and the cool thing about this, the offense line was good, but the cool thing, and I'm going to talk about Michael Jordan, the cool thing about this, Bruce, is these guys on defense were flying around, man. I mean, most NFL guys do, and you – or NFL defenses do, mm-hmm. but for the Bengals, I mean, it was a notch above. It was a notch above what I normally see each in and out each week on film, and that's encouraging. And I thought they played really well. I thought they blew the game. 49ers, I got information on them when you're ready to ask me about that. Well, that's uh, interesting that you say the Bengals are flying around on defense under a first-year coach. I think that's a cultural change. I think it's a breath of fresh air from Marvin Lewis. Certainly, it's different transitioning from Urban to Ryan Day, but we've seen that same kind of energy in the Buckeye defense, the same kind of transformation. Uh, We have not seen that yet in Cleveland, uh, which we will get to momentarily, but quickly a note on the 49ers. Uh, They're the road team Sunday in Cincinnati. They're the road team all week. They're practicing in Youngstown, and they will not have, it doesn't appear, they'll have Tevin Coleman uh, their outstanding running back from Indiana, who you might remember b- broke two long touchdown runs against Ohio State in the stadium a few years ago. And the Bengals, uh, they're more likely to get Joe Mixon back than the 49ers are to get Tevin Coleman back. Well, don't forget the Bengals also have Samaj Pirine in the bullpen, too, if if they need him. The and Bengals he, do? Yes, yeah. and he can be productive. Look, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers are used to playing without running backs. They do get production. Those running backs can be productive in their scheme because the offensive line for the 49ers are outstanding running backs. The 49ers were able to beat Tampa Bay because they had two pick sixes for touchdowns. Jimmy G struggled a little bit but also made plays when a play needed to be made. One in the fourth quarter, which was vital. Uh, I don't think he's right. But the interesting thing about Jimmy Garoppolo, he's 9-2. and two. He's 9-2 and two as a starter for the 49ers. Excuse me, fighting a cold. And the other thing uh, about the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo is they average 26 points a game when he's the starter. So regardless of how he's playing. Whether the offense scores him or not. It's it's the result. Yeah, no, it is. It is the result business. It'll be be a a really good challenge. And the 49ers don't have a number one receiver. Their number one receiver is their tight end. 
and George Kittle. And by the way, is probably the best pass catching tight end in the league. The most uh, wow. I I I bet you it's my old theory. You know, you put put a coach or defense coordinator under the hot lights. Who do you fear most in the league as a tight end? There's a lot of guys out there, and I guarantee you that 28 teams would say George Kittle. Never heard his name. Pro I, mean, I never heard year. his name. Broke all kind of records okay. last year. I'm not dialed in on the tight end Pro Bowlers. Sorry. All right. Glaring well, that's lack, why I'm here. That's lack of prep on my once part. Once again, that's what I bring to the that's podcast. That's why he's here. Inside that's, the, that's the name of the book. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Information of a scouting report for the Cincinnati Bengals. They better handle George Kittle or he will kill you. He was their leading receiver last year. He's a record-breaking tight end in the NFL last year. He catches a ball, and he's superb with run after catch. He is a great player. So if you're going to watch the Bengals game this week, watch George Kittle. Fantastic. That Bengals game will start at 1 p.m. The Browns will not play Sunday. They will play Monday night, and I am sure they will be on time for their game at the Jets because Odell Beckhamspiel says he will continue to wear his Richard Millay watch. Even though he's not a spokesman for the company, Richard Millay uh, spokespeople say, but he will continue to wear it, and he says, this is just my life. He will not be fined. But it is in, the NFL has talked to the Browns and said it is in violation of the rule that you can't wear anything that's hard during a game. But Odell says, you know, it's just me. It's everybody pay, makes a big deal out of what I do. You didn't like it the other day. Do you like it any better now that you've heard his explanation? What do you, go ahead. I know you're going to go off on this. I think it is, again, a way to call attention to yourself. And football, the last time I looked, the good teams are teams, not individuals, not trying to make individual statements. I don't like... That's why I don't like uh, choreographed touchdown celebrations. It's why I don't like proposing to a sideline net. I just think when you're a one, two, three, me guy, and he is, it detracts from the only business that should matter in a facility, and that is winning. And when you devote any energy to anything other than winning, you are devoting less energy to winning than you could be. Especially for a franchise that doesn't know how to win yeah. or hasn't won in a long time. This is, it's, it may be a silly thing, it's a little thing. But it's a microcosm of the atmosphere in Cleveland, at least early on. That's what it is. I don't care what, what people say. Why are you making a big deal out of this, Chris? Because it's the rules. In the day and age that we live in, with the social media, media, everybody's going to criticize. It becomes a distraction. He's wearing a watch because he thinks it's cool to be defiant. What's, what is cool nowadays is to be compliant with what's right with the team. What's best for the team? Is it best for the team that I wear my a fancy watch while I play, even, I, even though I know without question that it's against the rules and it deters from the team? So he's making the decision to serve Odell, not to serve the team. So if I'm Freddie Kitchens, take the watch off or you're not playing. Uh, now that's why I couldn't coach because everybody thinks I'm crazy for saying that. I, it's 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 so selfish and so petty what he's doing. It makes me sick to my stomach because he won't sacrifice his watch for the good of the team because now the NFL has to talk about it. Now the Browns media have to talk about it. Gosh forbid I have to talk about it and, and wasting my talk time about yeah, talking about this BS. It, Take the watch off. It's a distraction. It is an example. And again, I know I sound like get off my lawn guy. It's an example of undisciplined behavior not 
realizing that the team comes before you and your own individual wants and desires. And uh, I'm not saying because he wore a watch, the Browns had 18 penalties, but I'm saying that mindset plays into it. Freddie Kitchen says the penalties will stop against the New York Jets. Uh, This is why, he says, the penalties will stop. Pull it up on your little computer or Facebook or whatever, Twitter or whatever you do. Okay, well, I will pull it up on my little computer, Nick. Uh, Here is Freddie Kitchens saying why the penalties will stop. Very comfortable, very confident um, that they will not carry over. Here's here's what, okay, what makes me say that. Because the men that we have in that locker room, they're going to rally together. They're going to be accountable to each other. They are accountable to each other. They understand the problems that we created for ourselves yesterday. They understand that with 22, with, uh, you know, we got the ball at the 49-yard line down 22 to 13 and have a shot play called, and we can't get it off. They understand that and get a holding call on that play. That puts us in the first and 20 again. Uh, we understand what the result of that play would have been if we could have gotten it off. So. We understand the problems, all right? They will rectify the problem. We've got a bunch of guys in there have bought in to what each other means to them. Uh, They will do that. I feel very confident that I know what we're going to get when we go to the practice field um, starting tomorrow. Um, And I feel very confident in what we're going to get when we show up. Okay, there you go. They all bought in except OBJ because wearing his watch is more important than a team. He's not bought in. No, I would love it if he would say, look, the watch has nothing to do with how I play, but uh, it's obviously a distraction to the team, and so I don't want to be a distraction no. to the team, so I'm not going to wear the watch. No, he has to be a distraction to the team. It's narcissism. Yeah. It's narcissism 101. That's what it is, because the watch is more important than the team. So Freddie can sit up there and say, we bought in, we understand. Well, like I said when I opened this show, I got one answer for that. Time will tell. No pun intended. Thank you. Very nice. Yes. Saw what you did there. All right, you can always email the podcast, Spielman and Spielman Hooley Podcast at gmail.com. Spielman Hooley Podcast at gmail.com. Your questions about anything. Our motto here is we tackle everything. Uh, Caleb emails the show. Caleb from Delaware, he says, I'm going to be a first-time dad in January to a little girl, what's your advice raising a godly daughter? Uh, you and I both have uh, daughters, and hopefully uh, we're raising them to be uh, godly young ladies. Uh, my advice would be uh, don't let mom, don't don't look at it like, uh, you know, well, mom raises the, the girls or mom raises our kids, and I, I provide. That is part of your role, but uh, the, a daughter's relationship with her dad is the most re- important relationship of her life. Uh, it will order how she picks a husband. Uh, it will order everything uh, she uh, thinks about and uh, how she views uh, men, how she views herself, her own self-image, all those kinds of things. So it's extremely important for you to invest the time in being close to your daughter and I would highly recommend uh, a book by a Christian psychologist guy uh, named Kevin Lehman, uh, who the book title is uh, something about daddies and daughters. Uh, mm. I'll, I'll get it for you here in a second. Great book, and it really opened my eyes to my responsibility to my girls. Uh, that's great sound advice. I ditto everything you just said to that. I would say this. Early on, the first night you bring your daughter home, when she's falling asleep, walk into the room and pray over her in your room. 
<clears throat> every single opportunity that you get. Uh, your daughter um, will get how a man, from my experience, is supposed to treat a woman from you. Exactly. From you. If you treat your wife poorly, your daughter's going to look for a dude that treats her poorly. That's my experience. Absolutely true. So if, for me, I'll, I'll just give you the simple advice. P pray for her. Expose her to faith. Encourage her faith. Then when they reach the age of accountability, I told all my kids, hey, don't, my faith isn't your faith. Go make your faith your own. And from my what I know, I think they've all done that. So, But pray for them daily. Starting Absolutely. the first night, the first night she spends in your house. Here's one other thing I would tell you to do, Caleb. Uh, one of the coolest experiences of my life is when my oldest daughter was born. Uh, she, of course, was crying and wailing uh, when she came out of the womb. Uh, the nurse handed her to me. I started talking to her, and she instantly stopped crying. And the nurse, I, I was amazed at that. Yeah. And the nurse said, that's because she knows your voice. Oh, and Caleb, one other thing. So talk to your daughter in your wife's womb. Talk to her. One other so thing. she'll get yeah. to know your voice. One other thing, dude, don't take it personal. That's yeah. don't take girls, you're you're in for the challenge of your life. And when there are bumps in the road, never take it personal. And you are your daughter's father. You're not your daughter's friend. Remember that. There you go. Great advice. Uh, and congratulations, Caleb. First time dad. That is awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. All right, we'll be back uh, Friday with another edition of the Spielman and Hooley podcast. Thanks for listening. You can get it on every platform. Please subscribe. We really appreciate it. The numbers are really good, but they need to get better uh, so that uh, we can continue doing this. We do have a lot of fun, and we enjoy talking to you. So we'll talk to you again on Friday.